Praise the Lord. You ever read a verse before or a context of verses that intellectually you had some idea what they were saying, but you really didn't understand them at all? Intellectually you understood them, but you had no experience with them, or at least you had no experience with them that you really could um, allow you or benefit you where you could say with confidence, yeah, I understand that. Well, these last three and a half months, there is a passage of Scripture uh, that I have become intimately acquainted with. Second Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Acacia. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Now, these next three or four verses almost sound like a riddle. Blessed be, the, blessed be, be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comfort who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth in Christ. And the Greek word translated consolation there is the same word translated comfort in the previous verses. So our comfort or our ability to be comforted or ability to comfort also aboundeth by Christ. Because His sufferings abound in us, His comfort in us abounds, which therefore means we have comfort with which to comfort others. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Now, June will be 44 years. No, excuse me. It's not true. June will be 46 years that I have been actively involved in the ministry. And the one thing I have learned and made peace with, learned the hard way, and I made peace with it is 
that no man of God can minister what he doesn't know. You can only minister what you know. You can only share with people what you've received. You can only give what you've received. And if you haven't received it yet, you can't give it. And so I cannot apologize and do not apologize for giving everything I have known and done the, doing the best that I could do all these years. But I've got to stand here tonight and tell you this. I'm not sure I've ever accurately, effectively communicated what true Christianity is about to the people that I have been responsible for pastoring or overseeing. And the reason I say that is, when I watch the response of so many people to the difficulties of life, people who have sat on these seats who have been, many have been very involved, people that I know have learned how to pray, people that have been used of God, and yet when they go through negative circumstances slash sufferings, their attitude toward God and all of that reveals they don't really have a clue. Now, I know some of you are big into TV preachers. Might as well go to Atlantic City. Get just as much for your money as what you do send to these guys that are preaching false doctrine. You give, you're going to be blessed. The only way they spell blessing is with dollar signs instead of S's. Blessings to them and what they preach and promote is that if you live for God, He's going to make everything wonderful for you. It's false doctrine. It's not in the book. There's not any place in this book that God promised to smooth out all of your rough roads. There's no place in this book God took, promised to take away your valleys and eliminate your mountains. And any expectation of that proves that at best your faith and understanding of God is very immature or at worst it's deception and false doctrine. Having had the privilege of participating in raising two sons and being fairly closely involved, thankfully, I'm very blessed for that because I've got a lot of good friends that don't have that privilege of having their grandchildren close by. I've been pretty involved as much as a grandfather can be with the queen of grandmothers around uh, in participating in seeing seven grandchildren born and growing 
And I can tell you that there is no more selfish individual in this world than an infant. There is no dictator. There is no tyrant. There is no ruler or despot who has ever been more self-centered than an infant. An infant thinks everything is about them. And they want all of their problems solved or you're going to pay. And the first clue that the first transition of life is about to take place is the first time anybody dares to tell them no. You're not listening. The first step from infancy to the next stage of life is to tell you no. You spent all this time, months, years or more, expecting that your parents and anybody else that is daring enough to be involved with taking care of you to do exactly what you want, when you want it, without you telling them. Because you're just going to scream your head off till they figure out what's wrong. And a lot of people, they want to live their entire walk with God as an infant. I've made a mess. Clean it up, God. My stomach aches, God. You stay up all night and pat me on the back. I'm hungry. It's been an hour since I ate. You dare to sleep when I'm hungry? Get up, God, and fix it. And that's the way new Christians are. And we, we get lulled into this place of thinking that that's the way it's going to be with God. That everything we don't like, He's going to fix. And the first time he tells us no, we pitch a fit. Now, there is no uh, <clears throat> child protective services in heaven. The father is not worried about getting arrested for whipping you. And you closet liberals, you can be all upset over that as you, much as you want, but rather than reading your uh, <clears throat> political books, how about show me that in the Bible? Where he's promised not to spank you when you don't obey. 
And he expects us to take the word answer, no. And the sign, the first step of any kind of spiritual maturity is when we accept it, even if we don't like it, we accept it. And every stage of life, if you, and you know, I got a few years now, see, okay? I, I, I've had a little experience with this, and I can tell you. I used to think when I was younger, there would be a day that I would get so spiritual, there would be no struggles left in spirituality. That if I could just get spiritual enough, there'd be no struggles left. That if I could just pray consistently, read my Bible consistently, do good consistently, I could get spiritual enough and I would never struggle again. (laughs) That's not in the book either. In fact, what I've learned naturally and... (laughs) trying to learn spiritually, is that every stage of life, infancy to childhood to adolescence to teenage years to young adulthood to mature to middle age to the rest of us, every stage of life is marked by the fact that it's a new level when it's less about you And more about others. Every stage. Every stage of spirit of natural and spiritual maturity. If you make that next step of maturity, naturally or spiritually, it becomes less and less about your needs, your comfort. What makes you happy? That's why some people don't ever mature. They change mates like they do their underwear. Because they think, they think if, uh, if they can find the right mate, they'll be happy. If you're not happy without a mate, you're not going to be happy with a mate. If you're not at peace with yourself without a mate, you're not going to find the right mate that's going to make you feel be at peace with yourself. If you don't like yourself without a mate, you're not going to find a mate that's going to cause you to like yourself. It's not it's just not real. It's not true. It's a lie. Now you can you can drive a thousand miles or so, whatever it is, 900 miles to Disneyland, a Disney World if you want to. And you can go to the fantasy land and all that other stuff. But you know what? You can't live in the park. You got to leave there and go back out in the real world. And church is not a spiritual fantasy land. This is not where we come to pretend that everything is perfect. This is not where we come and pretend to believe that God is going to fix everything we don't like. 
In fact, in all kindness, I'll say it this way. Mature Christianity understands that what God allows to happen in your life really has very little to do with you. But only in preparing you to be able for Him to do through you what He wants to do for others. And I, you know, some of you I don't know as well. It's been eight years since I pastored this church, whether you know it or not. December the 18th was eight years. Eight years. Seems like a blink of eye. Seems like forever. But I still know most of you well enough to know this. No two of us in this room are going through the same thing. Every one of us is going through something different. And if two of us seem to be going through the different, same thing, it's to different degrees. So you know what that means? If, so, if you see somebody in the church or out that is going through what you've gone through and made it through, <laughs> if you have passed the final <laughs> so you don't have to go back through that class your attitude is Lord what can what can, can, what can I do to help that person how can you use me to help them what can I say for them what can I say to them how can I pray for them if you didn't pass the final, <clears throat> the attitude is, they need to suck it up. Because if what you went through didn't break you down to nothing, you didn't pass the final. If it didn't break you down so far that you had no way to make it on your own, and you had to cast yourself completely on him just to make it one more day? I, I, I've been, I've I, I got to spew a little bit here tonight. Is it all right? I have, I have done my best about 95% of the time to not spew what I really felt when somebody would say to me, but you're so strong. And, and, you know, your life is this and your life is that. In other words, I understand how you can do it, but, 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 but me, I can't do that. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord have mercy. You've you got to be kidding me. You think this is easier for me? Easier? Somehow? <laughs> I've said this many years ago after the Lord first dealt with my shame, February of 84. I got to looking around at my brethren and I thought, you know what? It seems like the Lord looks down and finds the most messed up people he can find and say, hey boy, I'm calling you to preach. You're a perfect candidate. You got so many flaws and faults, you're smart enough not to take the credit. You know, I just haven't found very many people that's got it all together he's called to preach. Because they make horrible pastors. 
Because they have no patience with people's struggles. You know what you really, really want to be led by? Men who are so totally conscious of the fact that they need a a Savior every day or they're not going to make it. That they have no ability to save themselves. I'm not, I'm not excusing faults and flaws and failures and failure. I, I'm not excusing that. I'm not. I'm just simply saying to you. <laughs> when I was young and uh, <clears throat> couldn't beat myself hard enough, I needed somebody to beat on me, I, I, I'd seek out men that I thought were strong men it would just i wanted them to flail on me cuz i needed to be punished because i wasn't doing it perfectly and every time i thought god led me to somebody like that when i got to talking to them they began to confess their weakness it just blew my i just it just messed me up all it just messed me up i have i, I said to a couple of them i thought you loved me well, I do. Then why don't you rail on me about how bad I am? Why don't you beat on me so that I can feel better? No, I can't do that. Hello? There were... <clears throat> Thirteen people at the Last Supper. I never have understood why they only sat on one side of the table, though. I wonder if that was some ancient custom. (laughs) That must have been it. They They commissioned an artist to come in and paint it, so they all posed on one side of the table. I guess that's really it, because have you ever seen a picture where they weren't all on one side of the table? Do you ever invite people to your house to eat and put everybody on one side of the table? Of those 13 people, including the one that hung himself because of his betrayal, Only one of them did not die a violent death. And the one that took his place also died a violent death according to church history. My first trip to Singapore years ago, I met some brethren from India. They were from South I don't remember southeast, southwest. But they were a part of an area of India that had been Christian for 2,000 years. And there they claimed that the Apostle Thomas came and preached to that area 2,000 years ago. And that that area of India has been Christian all those years. Well, 
I don't know if it's tradition or church history, but somewhere back there, the story is that Thomas was flayed alive until he died. Well, he must be punished because he doubted the Lord. No. Peter was crucified upside down. They all met violent deaths. Violent deaths. Violent deaths. I wonder how many of them in those last moments when they knew this was it said, Why, God? Didn't you have a retirement home I could retire to? Live out my days in peace? After all I've done for you, you let me die like this? Oh, of course, and you know the story of the one that didn't die like a violent death wasn't because they didn't try. History says, the Bible doesn't, that he was, they attempted to boil him in oil alive and execute him in Rome. And when they, when he, when they, when he wouldn't die, they didn't know what to do with him then. So that's when he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. That wasn't a resort, brothers and sisters. It wasn't the Patmos Resort and Golf Club. They didn't have continental breakfast in the morning and buffet dinner in the evening. No. It wasn't a resort. They didn't have an infinity pool for the luxury of their guests. They didn't have a spa. It was a barren rock. He was sent there to die. We know Peter had a wife. I'm assuming the others had a wife too. I'm not trying to be negative with you. At all. Some of you have read the posts. Probably the greatest, absolute, greatest blessing in this entire last three and a half months has been that at no point, no matter how bad it's gotten, emotionally, physically, otherwise, no matter how bad, I can tell you right now, I know for a fact with me, and I can say it with 99.9% certainty with her because I've never been more in tune with her emotions than I ever have in my life. Never been more in tune. I can tell you there's not even been the, there hasn't even been the first thought of asking God why. Why? To me, there's no greater victory when you can trust the Father to go through whatever it is you're going through without demanding Him explain to you His reasons or, Im or implying to Him that He somehow failed you. Failed me? You know, <laughs> there were two fathers. Had two sons that were prophesied to die. First father took his son up on Mount top of Mount Moriah, build an altar, tie that boy up, and, and according to some 
that boy was probably in his early 20s. No offense, guys, but it's almost 68. I can call you a boy without being uh, unkind or disrespectful. That means that boy could have fought that man because the man was 100 years old when he was born. That means that boy, even at 12, could have resisted that man. That means that boy trusted his father enough to crawl up on that altar and lay there while he was tied up. Why? Because before they started up the mountain, the boy asked his father, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, they had some kind of sensor with fire in it that was going to start this, the altar the 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 the, uh, the wood the wood for the sacrifice we've got the we've got the the wood we've got the fire where is the sacrifice and his father responded to him the lord will provide himself a sacrifice and when that boy was laid up there and everything was in place that father took that knife and the bible says in hebrews 11 he had every intention of putting that knife in that boy's heart. You know why? Because he trusted him who'd made the promise that he was going to be a father of many nations through this boy's offspring. And he knew that God was able to raise him from the dead. But when every muscle in his body flexed to start down, the hand of the Lord stayed him and over in the bushes there was a ram, a male sheep caught. He untied the boy, went over and brought the lamb and offered the sacrifice. So when God tested Abraham, he took him all the way up to the point where his intention was and he proved he was ready and willing. And the Lord said that, you have not withheld thine son, thine only son. He was willing. There was, it was a done deal in Abraham's heart. And yet God spared the son. Well, I got a question. We go several thousand years after that, and there's a father with a son, and the prophecy was this son had to die. And when they said, save yourself, he said, if, if, if I needed to, all I'd have to do is speak the word, and the father would send 12,000 angels to deliver me, 12 legions of angels, excuse me. And according to some people's estimations, that's 6,000 6, in each legion. So that would be, what, 72,000? Is that right? So the Lord would have sent, the Father would have sent instantly that many angels to, do, to deliver him. But the Father didn't deliver that son. That son had to die. And if he hadn't have died, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. Some of us would be in a gutter. We were going so far down. Some of us would have been dead because of of the of the road we were traveling that had no 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 uh, bridge out sign that you would have gone off the the end. But because he didn't spare his own son, 
but delivered him up for us all. He provided a way where you and I could be forgiven of every sin. He provided the change agent in our lives. My question to you is this. Are you enough of a Christian? Do you understand enough about Christianity that when the Lord chooses for you to have a bad day, bad week, bad month, bad year, bad decade, bad couple of decades, you can say the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. My wife and I drove into this town to $300 in the bank. Literally. That's all we had. Her father loaned us, we were talking about this the other day, her father loaned us $500. We rented an apartment and bought furniture for that entire apartment for $500. I don't have to tell you that while they call that new I don't, <laughs> I don't know how it lasted. We ended up giving it away. God must have blessed that stuff because it was the cheapest stuff I've ever seen in my life. We got living room, dining room. We, got, we had a, a couch, two chairs, a coffee table, two end tables, a table, six chairs, a china cabinet, a bed, a headboard, a dresser. A chest of drawers and one rocker recliner for $500. Let me tell you something. If you think that's cheap, that would be ridiculously cheap now, that was ridiculously cheap then. That was the cheapest stuff we could buy. We came here with $300. If we had to leave today and had $300 in our pocket, it wouldn't have cost us anything to be here. If you all left right now, and the bank said, we want this back. If we left here with $300 in our pocket, it wouldn't have cost us anything to be here. He said it's cost you a lifetime. No, it hadn't cost me a lifetime. It was his in the first place. I've come to the conclusion that trust is greater than faith. Because he doesn't give me a word to have faith with every day. And you can't have faith without a word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by a word from God, a rhema of God. And I have, every one of you, there's nothing wrong with you. I've had many days I never got a word for that day. Noah got one word and spent 120 years obeying that one word without a second word. The next word he had was after he fulfilled everything the first word told him to do, which is get ready to go in the ark, it's going to rain in seven days. 
120 years on one word. In the military, they call that obeying the last order given. You don't have to seek God for something new to do. You don't have to go seeking God for something new to do or someplace new to go. Because that tells you that you haven't learned what you're supposed to learn, where you are in what you're in. Because when he's ready to change it, he'll initiate it. But what do we do? buddy we want him to fix it we want him to fix it now and we're going to pray as long as he will do what we ask him to do which is I don't like this I don't want this I don't want to go through that fix this fix this fix this fix this fix this change this change this change this and for a lot of Christians and I'm not being unkind I'm because That's the way immature Christians think, and that's the stage they've got to go through. It's spiritual infancy and adolescence. But in the growing up process, naturally and spiritually, you learn that there are some things you just got to... I don't want to go to school today. So? I don't like homework. You're growing up. And the more life consists of doing stuff you'd rather not do, the more mature you are. Now, I'm not talking about... Don't, don't misunderstand me here. The Bible is full of terminology like this. The joy of the Lord. The peace of God. The God of peace. I read it tonight. The God of all comfort. The love of God. What's that terminology about? That terminology is about experiencing a quality of life that is independent of your circumstances because of your relationship with Jesus. That your quality of life is not dependent Upon your circumstances or situation. Uh, every preacher's preached about Paul and Silas in the dungeon singing at midnight. Yet they were in jail and they were singing and there was an earthquake. They didn't sing to bring an earthquake. They weren't praying for an earthquake. They were singing because their relationship with God, their trust and love of the Father transcended their circumstances, their joy, their peace, their happiness, their contentment was not dependent upon their circumstances.
You could have shouted. You didn't. You didn't. You were given a chance. I'm really sorry. You were given a chance. I told him for service, if there's a move of God, let it go. He said, you want me to push it? No, don't push it, but lead it. And if it, if it happens, okay. It's fine with me. I'll breathe a sigh of relief. I'm reading to you from Weasts, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 3, or verse 2, just to save a few minutes. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Eulogized be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassionate mercies and of every consolation and encouragement. That in the King James, that is just comfort. Who consoles and encourages us in our every affliction and tribulation. In order that we may be able to console and encourage those who are in any affliction or tribulation. By means of the consolation and encouragement with which we ourselves are being consoled and encouraged by God. So our Father trusts us. If you saw one of the tweets, it was something along the line is, it's one thing to trust God, it's a far greater thing for God to trust you. And I, standing here, I know enough about 80, 80 to 90% of you that while this one's going through this, and this one's going through this, and this one's not going through this, and this one's not going through this, Everybody's going through something. It's tailored just for you by your Father. It's tailored just for you and for His purpose for you in His kingdom so that you can uniquely be used in His kingdom and for His purpose to be a be a conduit through which he can bless others who are going through what you've gone through. That, my friend, is spirituality. That's spirituality. I'm so unhappy. You know, my marriage is terrible and I'm, I'm envious of those with a great marriage. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> Pick your poison. There's a lot of different ways that God lets us suffer as a part of his purpose and kingdom. There's a lot of different ways. Sickness, personal sickness, family sickness, family trouble, marriage trouble, trouble with kids, trouble with parents. Financial trouble. Spiritually, church trouble. You can go on and on. There's all these different ways a person can be tested of God. He doesn't, he doesn't, very, very rarely do you see a Job who's tested in so many different ways at once. I mean, hey Lord, in this ganging on, you could have taken everything he had and that would have been, that would have broken 
99.9% of us. But then you let all seven of his sons and all three of his daughters be killed in the same accident? Or you could have left him all of his wealth and just took his kids. Wouldn't that have been enough to kill him? I said to a brother that I had been involved with when his wife left him, with him fighting with everything in him to to save his marriage. I counseled him and her repeatedly, but she had her mind made up, and it was a done deal. It was over with. And I, I... I I did everything I could to empathize with what he was going through and help him. And there was a point in time where, for whatever reason, it seemed like I was the only one still trying to help him. Started out, there was quite a few of us, but it eventually narrowed down. And you talk about pressure when I realized that there was no one else calling this man. He lost his wife, ended up having to resign his church. Because of false accusations she made, they took his ministerial card. He lost everything. Everything. And and the pressure I felt because there were days I knew that my voice calling him on the phone was the only thing kept him from pulling the trigger over that forty five I knew he had, he had laying in his lap some days. That was a lot of pressure. I got to be honest with you. And I thought I was compassionate. I thought I could feel for him. But a couple months ago, I called him up and I said, I owe you a deep apology. He said, for what? I said, "Uh, I didn't have a clue what it felt like, what you were going through. And while I haven't lost my wife, just the fact that I... There's the threat of losing my wife. There's no way to know how all this is going to turn out naturally. I said, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. And I said to him, I realize at this point in time that if I'm ministering to somebody that's gone through something that I have not gone through, There is no way possible to be a benefit to that person except through the Spirit because there's absolutely no human emotion that I can have to connect with them and what they're going through. There's no way to understand it. There's no way. But sometimes God's plan for you and for me and who He's going to cause us to cross paths with cross paths with and their need and his love for them is so great that if he can find children of God he can trust he lets us go through and get through what they are going through when he brings us across their path so that we have not just the spiritual ability to minister to them but the emotional ability to connect with them. Now, I know what people's opinion is of my persona. I, I know that. And, and there's nothing I can do 
Nothing. There are people in this building that absolutely think that I am some stern, inflexible, hard-nosed individual. Well, you know what? Most of you wouldn't be able to continue to come to church here if you saw me cutting up with my grandchildren because it would just blow your whole concept of me. You wouldn't even be able to, you couldn't, you couldn't, you just couldn't mesh the two. Because you've created this thing in the mind that is not me, not who I am, not what I am, and, and you couldn't do this over here. You couldn't do it. Years ago, there was a, a professional man that uh, I ended up connected with and won him to the Lord, and, and we had a connection. I loved that man. He loved me. But I knew right away that he had enough baggage in his life that he put me up on a pedestal that I didn't ask to be put on. So in my very naive, this was 30 years ago, in my very naive and desperate attempt to try to be his pastor because I knew if I let him continue to think about me like I knew he thought, it was only a matter of time until I was going to let him down. So I made up my mind. Buddy, every bit of humanity I've got, I'm showing to you. We made a couple of trips. He stayed in the room with me. I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about humanity. Just humanity. Years later, he said, you can't be my pastor anymore. Why is that? Because, because I, have, I have greater expectations for you than everybody else. And I said, and I never volunteered to meet them. Never volunteered to meet them. If you got those expectations of me, they're one-sided. Because from the beginning of this relationship, I've done my best to prove to you that my leadership of you is the spirit, not the human. And if you can't handle that, then we got a problem. And it was a problem. He never got over it. It was a problem. There's been some days I thought, you know what? I really wish I hadn't done that. I really wish I hadn't. But then I came to the conclusion it wouldn't have made any difference. It wouldn't have made any difference. I've told this story in a couple of meetings, but I don't think I've ever told it in church. December 18, 2005, we had the service in this half of the building, which is then the auditorium at the time. A little over two and a half years after the building collapsed, and uh, it was time to make uh, David the senior pastor. And so I uh, anointed him and stepped out of the pulpit on Sunday nights, Monday nights for a while. And um, the summer of 09, the Lord said to me, when are you going to trust me and the pastor with this church? I said, Lord, I don't know what else I can do. I'm not preaching. 
He said, yeah, but you're hanging around here watching everything. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I can't tell you what I want you to do because you won't listen because you, you're not willing to leave. You think this thing's going to collapse if you, don't, if you stay, if you don't stay. I said, okay, okay, Lord, I trust you and I, I trust David. <laughs> Didn't take him long on that one. Within 14 days, I had my entire fall booked solid. One of the main things was I was invited to go back to Singapore for the second time in September of 2009. Well, I go over there, and I'm just blown away. I'm, I'm just, just absolutely blown away. I mean, the Lord does so much stuff. And, and before I got home, I had another trip booked two months later, and it was to three different nations. And... Uh, I get into Jakarta, Indonesia, and uh, the national superintendent and the missionary picked me up at the airport. I'm in the car. I've never seen this man before in my entire life. We're not even off the parking lot of the airport, and he says, I can't believe that Chester Wright is in my car. I go... He said, you know that God has made you the apostle of Indonesia. Didn't send me that memo. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. I didn't get that memo. I went from there to Singapore. Brother Willoughby was already sick. Sister Willoughby had died uh, of cancer in the fall, in the summer. And I was there in September just a month or so after her funeral. And Brother Willoughby already had brain cancer. So I was there back in Singapore in those two trips trying to be a blessing while he was such bad shape. And then uh, I go from Singapore to Malaysia. The national superintendent picks me up in the car to airport. I'm, I'm telling you the honest truth. There's no hyperbole in any of this. <laughs> That's the scary part. I get in the, get in the man's car. I've never seen him before in my life. We are. We have just cleared the the gate at the paid parking area. He says, "I can't believe I got Chester Wright in my car." I've been praying for God to send someone to be the apostle to Malaysia. You're kidding me, right? I, nobody, nobody. I didn't hear any of this. So. By the time I came home, I had agreed to go back to that region. January, March, and May. Well, when I got home, I was so tired, so empty, I decided I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be anybody's apostle. So, I decided that I was going to change God's mind. I had a good excuse. I was really tired. So I decided I wasn't going to pray. That'll fix him. He, surely he's not going to send somebody to do this stuff that's not praying. So I went three weeks 
Barely said more than thank you, Jesus, or hallelujah. Didn't talk in tongues. And finally when I was done, I said, now, now, you're going to tell me not to go, right? Nothing. I said, you can't send somebody like me over there. Don't you see how I, what I've just done? This is the truth before God. What, what's wrong with you, God? You can't send somebody this messed up over there do this. You know what he said to me? He said, you know those, you know, I've done a lot of stuff in your life. Yes, you have. But you know the, this and this and this that you've asked me to change? Yeah. Well, I haven't changed it, have I? No, I'm not going to. Never. You're going to struggle with this, this, and this for the rest of your life. I said, Lord, if you're going to send somebody like me to go do this, you're, if I'm the best you've got to go do that, you're really hurting. I said that before God, I said it. To God. Exactly like that. If I'm the best you've got, you're hurting. You know what he said to me? He said, you know why you're the one I've chosen and why I haven't fixed those things in your life? And why any day you don't trust me, you're going to struggle with that stuff? Why? Because when you go and I use you like I'm going to use you, everybody else may be bragging on you, but me and you are going to know it wasn't you. Because me and you know who you really are and what you really are. So not only are you going, but you're going to go in spite of the fact that you don't like how you are. Now to some of you, that just doesn't make sense. That, you know, that ain't right. But that's because you don't understand. If he wanted angels to do this, if he wanted perfect beings to do this, he would have chosen the angels to do it. But the angels can't even preach the gospel. The best they can do is help connect the poor person that needs to hear the gospel with the person that has the gospel. That's the best they can do. They can fight against the principalities and the power. There's war against the gospel being preached. But he doesn't let them preach the gospel. Because this treasure's in earthen vessels. So that everybody knows who the praise belongs to. You know, I've had people say, and you know, well, you know, Brother Wright, now he doesn't like you to brag on him when he preaches. Well, I can't help if you misunderstand that. I'm trying to make a point. I know who does what's done. It's not me. I don't study intellectually. Oh, Brother Wright's a scholar. Really? I don't study intellectually. I don't minister intellectually. 
I know where it comes from. When, when there's enough times you hear stuff coming out of your mouth that you've never even thought of before, that you have to go back and listen to it because you'd like to understand what you just said. When you experience that enough times, then you know where it's coming from and you don't take the credit for that. In God, every place where you're strong naturally is your weakness. In God, every place where you're weak naturally is your greatest spiritual strength. That's why God has designed us to get old. Because if you can't come to a place of weakness through the circumstances, then He lets the clock and the calendar produce that. Because for you to be saved, you're going to get weak one day. Some of you precious people, some of you precious people live dual lives. You have your spiritual life and your natural life. And you, you know how to do your job and you're good at your job. And so you do your job yourself and then you do your spiritual stuff with God. And you, you know, I don't need God to help me do this. I got this. I know how to do this. You're kidding me, right? Really, you're kidding? Right? Kidding. That little thing down inside that says, I know how to do this. I got this. That's the thing God's working on right there. Because his word says, without me, ye can do. And you know what? Your father loves you enough to keep putting you in enough circumstances that you finally acknowledge that, not verbally, but spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. I can't do this. I can't handle it. My life's too difficult. Good, give up. Give up. Quit. That's the goal. Just don't quit on life and give up on God. Give up on you. You can't do this. And I know for some of you, this is like, that's not what happened to my hair. That's not what happened. But it's just like, what's he talking about? What's he talking That's not what I'm coming to church for. I'm looking for a God that's going to make this heaven for me. Eh, wrong parking lot. That's not, what preach, that's not what's preached here. This ain't heaven. In the old Pentecostal songbook, Pentecostal praises with the hardback red binder, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. 
The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We are pilgrims and strangers here. If your retirement plan is earth, hey, I believe you need to work hard and retire so you can go full-time for the kingdom. And if your goal is to do something else, you're not spiritual. Because if you're really spiritual, the day you retire, you're going to show up here and say to the pastor or brother you or one of these men of God, okay, I'm ready, put me to work. Got any tracks? Got Bible studies for me to teach? I got friends, classmates, who have retired. They get up and play golf every day. I like golf. But you got to be kidding me. The few times I've had a chance to play golf three days in a row, I was done. <laughs> you idiots that do this for a living, you got to be kidding me. A blade of grass is enough to deflect a slow rolling golf ball and keep it out of the cup and that one stroke that because the ball didn't go in the cup because of that one blade of grass is enough to cost you a hundred hundred two hundred thousand a million dollars i ain't living like that i'm gonna trust god not a blade of grass This is a very deep subject, and I haven't gone very deep. Because tonight I'm really not capable of going very deep. But I'm going to say this to you. Please. You need to beg God to open your eyes and let you see what this is really all about. Because you will quit accusing Him and being upset with Him over the stuff that hasn't gone like you wanted it to go. The prayer that we pray, especially on the hard days, is, Father, we know you love us. And we believe you're in control. And we trust you. And while we have our desires and preferences, we trust you in whatever it is you let us go through. Because we trust you and your love for us. That's the prayer that's got us from then to here. And it's going to take us all the way through whatever comes. That's the prayer. And it's not just, a, it's not just words. I, I'm going to quit with this, honestly. But... And I've said this before, and, and I may have a chance to talk on, about this specific thing because it's so critical. But an additional indicator of spirituality and spiritual maturity is when you begin to be able to discern the difference between what you're feeling in your spirit and what you're feeling in your human emotions. Because if you don't know there's a difference... 
The problem is we believe our emotions and we follow the roller coaster of our emotions rather than realizing it's what counts is what's in our spirit. And it's okay if I have good days emotionally and bad days emotionally. It's okay. That's just part of it. It's just the way it is. Some days you feel like laughing. Some days you bawl your eyes out. But that has nothing to do with what you feel in your spirit. Because in my spirit, in her spirit, there's absolute peace and absolutely no fear. But there have been days with absolute peace and absolutely no fear. The emotions have been all over the place. And when you learn to understand that, discern that, trust that, then you don't overreact to those days where your emotions are not consistent with what you feel in your spirit. It's just my humanity. It's just part of the earthen vessel. Because no matter how low you get naturally, emotionally, mentally, no matter how low you get, if there's peace in your spirit and trust in your spirit, that's what God's looking at. That's what he's looking at. Because the word of God separates and divides the soul and the spirit. Because my salvation is dependent upon what I have in my spirit. You've heard me teach this before, and I'm really honestly trying to quit. But it's on this point. I'm trying to help you. You've heard me teach this before. King Saul disobeyed the word of God in sparing King Agag and some sheep. And he did it because of fear of the people. He disobeyed God. Then on another occasion, he he was not authorized to offer sacrifice to God. And the people were gathered, and he was waiting, and Samuel was late, so he offered sacrifice to God because of the people. And God took the kingdom from him. David, a man after God's own heart, committed adultery. Had the woman, when she he found out she was pregnant... He had the woman's husband placed purposely in a, in a situation where he would be killed in the battle, which God called murder. And God didn't take the kingdom from David. Didn't take his promises from David. And naturally we go, what's up with you, God? Here's what the difference is. Saul's sins were sins of the Spirit. David's sins were sins of the flesh. And because of the blood, you can always find your way back to the foot of the cross from a sin of the flesh. But there's no way back from a sin of the Spirit. People that have left the church over the years because... They, they just couldn't do it. They were down on themselves. They were upset with, you know, they, they just couldn't do it. They, they tried. They failed. 
There's always hope for them to come back. But people that don't believe the doctrine anymore and left out of a spirit of rebellion with authority and leadership, they don't come back. They can't get back because their sin is a sin of the spirit, not of the flesh. We all got flesh, and it's not perfect. And if a man after God's own heart was capable of such horrendous sin of the flesh, and God could forgive that man and not take his promises from that man, yeah, he went through some stuff, but God's promises are still there. The throne of heaven is still named the throne of David. Not making excuses for sin here, folks. But I'm trying to help you with a point. And the point is, huge difference between sins of the Spirit and sins of the flesh. And if you're sitting here tonight saying you have no, you've never had any sins of the flesh, doubt, unbelief, whatever, You've never failed. You're lying through your teeth. No, no offense, but you're lying through your teeth. You are so deceived. But you show me a person who has sins in their spirit. That person is the one that Scripture says God sends strong delusion to. And they become deceived. They can't repent because they don't need to repent. They haven't done anything wrong. Father, we say we need you. We think we know we need you. But in your love and mercy for us, you never stop demonstrating to us and trying to help us see how much we need you. Not because you're trying to humiliate us, Father. Not because you're trying to put us down. Not because you want our lives to be miserable but because you cannot use us to do the great things you want to do while there's still a chance we will touch your glory, that we'll take the credit. Jesus, we need your grace and peace tonight to help us to trust you, Father, regardless of what it is you choose for us to walk through. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, praise God. Praise God. I apologize for going as long as I did. I didn't intend to do that. In fact, I'm very surprised. I'm not going to do an altar call tonight. I want you to act like a cow. I want you to go home and regurgitate this and chew on it a while. Okay? That's what I'd like for you to do. Get it out of get the could out of your uh, what is it in? Whatever. Chew in a while. Let the Lord talk to you. God bless you. Don't forget service tomorrow night. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Thanks.